Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Moniz, and this is a portion of episode 88 of our Demoralized Democracy. This is your first time checking out the show. Just wanted to say we do monthly live streams, and what you're listening to is a portion of that live stream. So we've got six episodes in this block, and I hope you enjoy it. Let me know your comments. Make sure you subscribe at bitawake.com. And before we get into it, because of when I'm recording this, I just want to wish everybody who's listening, who celebrates a Merry Christmas, and of course, I wish everybody a Happy New Year. I hope 2024 brings us many exciting stories that we get to unpack here at the Project for Bench Sense Making. So in this episode, like I said, six segments. Starting out, we're going to talk a little bit about my changing politics and the analysis, the mode of analysis I use, and how that differs from where I would have been in the past. The second segment of the episode is about Dear Patriot, No Identity for You. I talk about a piece I wrote, Dear Patriot, You're Supposed to Be Demoralized, and I tie that into a larger conversation about Israel-Palestine and who gets to have an identity in the West. I think it's an interesting thing to examine, given especially the, uh, the conflict in the Middle East. Then we move into all the worst elements of narrative journalism. We, we analyze that dead spin story of a hit piece on a nine-year-old boy because he decided to wear face paint to an NFL game and just how much that shows us about what is a decaying media uh, ecosystem. But it still has a lot of power and that's why we need to keep an eye on it. We also talk a little bit about Ibram X. Kennedy, and we also talk about Elon Musk in that episode, so make sure you check that one out. Then we move into a quick conversation about Argentina, uh, Spain, and Ireland, some recent unrest and up and election changes there that are very interesting from a geopolitical perspective, but might be lost in the day-to-day coverage of most of the shows that you listen to. We'll spend a little bit of time on the GOP debate, that's 88.5 and then 88.6. I want to, I, I try to tackle a little bit of a question of, are we dealing with an immigration at the moment at the southern border right now? Are we dealing with an invasion? Is it something else? I think there's an important conversation to be had here that most people aren't willing or interested in having. So I hope you join me on that. And then we also do our little roundup at the end there. We have some fun stories about Gavin Newsom cleaning up San Francisco. Why? Because he can. And also dating in your 30s. So I hope you like this episode. If you would, if this is your first time listening, please subscribe on whatever platform you're on, and then go to binawake.com. Subscribe with your email. It's the best way to keep in contact. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Next story I want to read to you guys is, oh, I was like, why did it blur? Is about Javier Millet in Argentina, who just won an election. He won the presidency, in fact. You know, just a few short years ago, I would have been over the moon that an outright libertarian and even a self-professed anarcho-capitalist had won a major election. I had even predicted, I think on this show, or maybe in an interview that I've given, that liberty, as it were, might not be found in the United States next, but might be found elsewhere, especially in countries like Brazil and Argentina. Argentina experienced a boom in the industrial and post-war era, but that was quickly overtaken by socialist policies. South America in particular became a hotbed for an ideological set of thoughts, specifically liberation ideologies. And you'll remember in the, in the video of Kendi we just watched, that he talked in specifically about liberation. 
these liberation ideologies had a Marxist leftist perception with a Latin twist, we might say. In particular, part of the reason for part of the reason, part of one thing that's plagued Argentina for a number of years has been and continues to be a high rate of inflation, monetary inflation, and an unstable currency, which has led to large black underground black markets of people holding US dollars because it's a better store of value. I think it's important for us to answer a few questions about, about this story. An outright libertarian, um, an outright libertarian won an election. Why did it work? Well, in part it worked because he had he had built a reputation for himself over time. Right. It's my understanding that he played soccer for a bit. He was in music for a bit. Then he went and became an economist and kind of been on TV a lot until he decided to run for president and run on a very strict libertarian platform. The ideas of libertarianism are still very foreign to most people, which is one of the reasons why you don't hear me talk about them very much and why I don't think for a country like the United States of America, it it's a winning message. And I don't even think, in particular in Argentina, that people cared as much about his ideological commitment as much as they cared about the people he opposed and what he promised to them, which was stability, order, and feeding into that populist narrative of the elites have done us wrong. Will it work? That's yet to be determined. Of course, I'm, there are plenty of people out there who, for reasons we, for reasons that I'll detail, that you know they don't seem to want him to succeed, and they mostly don't want him to succeed because of actually what I thought, what I found in this article here, um, how Javier Milei will transform Argentina's foreign policy, and this is what's it. What I really thought was interesting about an article like this. Um, was 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 a little bit of the substance, like it was actually a decent article that Al Jazeera put together. Um, but also what it says about, I think, a, ref a certain reflexive anti-American sent sentiment that does exist within certain libertarian circles. What this article points out is that while Millet doesn't, well, Millet will actually have some, you know, say over domestic policy where he's really going to have the most success at the beginning is in foreign policy, right? And let's see. I want to just so this so this article says there's a few things that's going to change. One is that Argentina is not going to be part of BRICS, which is this rising coalition of an alternative monetary system outside of the petrodollar. Basically, it seems like Millet wants to put himself 100% behind the United States, which if I was advising him, I would tell him not to do. But for most people in Argentina, the dollar is the thing that they hold on to because they think it's going to last longer. And certainly it's going to last longer than the Argentinian dollar. So these are the three three shifts. First is reevaluating relations with China. At the end of a visit to China this year, economy Mr. Sergio Massa, Millet's left-wing rival for the presidency, joked that his country should be renamed Argentina. 
The quip illustrated the close ties the outgoing government has cultivated with Beijing. In the last half year alone, Argentina joined China's Belt and Road Initiative, an overseas investment program, and expanded a currency swap deal that has helped prop up its economy. China is Argentina's second biggest trading partner and a major investor in its energy and lithium sectors. But Millet's hardline rhetoric could put those relationships in peril. We'll see. Because we say a lot of bad things about the Chinese in America, but they still do a lot of business with us. Provoking the Chinese is not a good idea, Ayn said. It has consequences. Millet's camp has argued that Argentina can unspool its diplomatic ties with China while avoiding a negative impact on its export industry, but Ayn but is skeptical. It's an illusion to think you can lack political relations but still have economic relations. He said, in China's case, it doesn't work like that. During a news briefing after Millet's election, the Chinese foreign mil uh, minister uh, warned Argentina that severing ties would be a serious mistake. And Argentina has already experienced blowback to measures that have taken against China in the past. In 2010, when its government accused China of undercutting anti-dumping rules designed to maintain fair pricing in international trade, China responded by banning the import of soybean oil from Argentina. This article is saying that could potentially happen again with Millet's government. The next one is a full-throated embrace of the U.S. It says here that the, the, prede the predecessor, President Fernandez, was elected in 2019. He came in part of a power of pink tide, a wave of left-wing leaders uh, sweeping across Latin America. Many members of the pink tide rejected U.S. efforts to shape policy in the region, instead seeking alternatives like China to American leadership and economic might. But Millet is expected to break with that trend on the campaign trail he repeatedly said he would pursue a foreign policy aligned with the U.S. and the rest of the free world. For his part, Millet looks to the U.S. as a pillar of his economic agenda and the international the IMF's largest shareholder, and Millet will need its help to get a $44 billion loan program back on track. And the third is a high point of Argentinian-Israel relations. Now, this has a lot to do with why a lot of American libertarians don't love where Millet is at is that, you know, he he's full-throatedly behind Israel. Look, at the end of the day, I think I think his election is interesting. I think it I think he will necessarily have to mollify some of his more radical positions in order to wield power because there's still a legislature to get through. So I'm not sure in the end he will help anybody except maybe the Argentinian people, but if he's able to do that, I think that's enough. If you haven't heard, Spain has banned the rosary. Um, I don't blame you if you haven't been keeping up with Spanish politics. It hasn't been a focal point for our media. And in part, this is because it doesn't approve, it doesn't fit a pre approved narrative. The socialist government in Spain, though, has made some moves, parting Catalan separatists, giving them more power in the Spanish legislature and government. This has caused a backlash from the right half of the country, most prominently the largely Catholic population. In particular interest to me is that they have banned the, uh, the public, public praying of the rosary, as many people have been using and praying the rosary peaceably in the street to protest against the moves of the government. Again, this is a sign of the times, people, people reaching for the, wheel, for the reins of power and trying to hold on to the power that they have. And we should keep a close eye on this because, again, this is, this is the kind of, this is like instability that goes back a long time within culture.
within Spanish culture in particular. Next story. Ireland for the Irish? Not really. So this is a little bit about what happened in Ireland recently and why you might have seen the country on fire. We're just going to read through this article here from Zero Hedge. The trouble began around 1.40 p.m. local time in Parnell East Square in downtown Dublin next to the Gelsikochoksamuri Children's School. I think I pronounced that right. The Irish police or Garda said three young children and a woman in her 30s were wounded by a knife-wielding man in his 40s. Two were seriously wounded, a five-year-old girl and the adult woman. The fiend attacked a group of children queued up as they were moving from one scheduled class to the next. The kids were out walking. All of a sudden, one of them fell to the ground, then another, then another fell to the ground. And then another falls to the ground, said a witness. According to some reports, the wounded woman, a school worker, heroically rushed to defend the five-year-old girl, who was said to have been stabbed in the neck. This all happened in a matter of seconds after her very brave actions and other two children suffered superficial stabbing injuries to the chest and shoulder in what was a frenzied incident. All she was trying to do was protect those little kids and people in a very built-up area in the city center. Update, a delivery due driver, ironically an immigrant himself, put an end to the attack. What happened afterwards was the country... Literally, we're looking at a picture of a burning car here on the screen. A guard spokesperson said the early indication was the stabbing rampage was not an act of terrorism, and officials have yet to identify the, the attacker as ethnicity. I believe now he's been identified as somebody who was an immigrant of 20 years. But basically, this spawned a lot of protests in Ireland because it's believed that this, was, this is a result of having a huge migration crisis. And something that I discovered listening to people talk about this story, which I find very interesting, is that most of the low-end hotels and up to, in fact, like two- and three-star hotels, which is mostly what you'd stay at, like a Holiday Inn Express or a Hampton Inn or a Fairfield Inn, a lot of those hotels are actually being taken up by migrants who have come to Ireland. And they're being housed there at the government's dime. Again, let's go back to the question we asked earlier. Who gets to have an identity? What lands get to maintain, what lands get to be for a certain people alone? I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't think, because, because we're not dealing with an age of immigration. We're not. There are still plenty of immigrants in this age. There are still plenty of immigrants in this world. However, that's not really the problem that we see right, in places like Spain and Ireland and Europe and here at home in the United States. No, in fact, what we see is what we see is migration, which is something very different. It has very little to do with wanting to reestablish yourself inside of another culture and has far more to do with basic economic gain. Has no migration does not imply assimilation by any stretch of the imagination, and we be and we do wise to remember that, which is one of the reasons why we're going to talk about immigration after we talk about the GOP debate.
you like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.